This is Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. Hello and welcome to the programme, I'm Jake Cantor. Coming down the Talking TV slipway this week, we discuss the contenders to lead BBC Studios and analyse the entertainment changes at Channel 4. Also on the show, the producer of Paul Abbott's new Channel 4 police drama, No Offence, joins us in the studio. Plus, we have previews of BBC 4's Scandi-inspired slow TV experiment and BBC 3's Murder in Successful. That's all coming up on Talking TV for Broadcast. Joining me at Maple Street Studios this week is Faraz Osman, director of Lemonade Money. Who... I saw Spooks last night, the Spooks film last night. The Spooks night. film? Yeah, by Kudos. With Kit Harrington. Yeah. Was it good? Ch- check my face and you can decide what I thought about it. <laughs> uh, also with us is broadcast features editor Robin Parker. Hello. Good to have you back on the show, Robin. Good to be back. Last night I was mourning the loss of, or the end of Inside Number 9, but welcoming... You're a big fan of that, aren't you? But welcoming Peter Kay's car share, which was a pleasant surprise. I really liked it. Yeah, but of... Funny jokes, nice details, and sweet characters. And it's done really well on iPlayer as well, isn't it? Yes, done very well on iPlayer. I watched the first one on iPlayer, but a bit too late to catch up with the rest, so I'm back in linear mode now, but uh, looking forward to catching up with the rest of it. Yeah, well worth checking out. Uh, We'll uh, move on to our first item, which is uh, the race to run BBC Studios. Uh, Broadcasters unearthed some serious candidates for the role, which will involve leading the BBC's £450 million production behemoth into the commercial sector. Former Boom Pictures Chief Executive Lorraine Hegarty and BBC England Director Peter Salmon are understood to be in the running, while Sony creative boss Wayne Garvey is also being widely linked with the role. Counting themselves out of the running are ITV Director of Television Peter Fincham, Kevin Ligo and existing in-house bosses Mark Freeland and Natalie Humphreys. Fraser, a big old job. Behemoth, good word. I like that. <laughs> I, yeah, I had to. I stumbled over the pronunciation a little bit. <laughs> it's it is it's massive, just too long. It's a massive job, isn't it? It's uh, it's it's exciting. I think um, what we seem to be getting into a, a space where where the UK can really compete on an international market, which I do think needs to happen. There's obviously loads of question marks that haven't been solved yet, and I'll, I'll be interested to know whether those are going to be answered before that person's put in place, or if they're going to be expected to. To, I imagine there's going to be some 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 t- uh, belt tightening along the way as well. So you'd imagine so. Some so, re- so some potential redundancies. Yeah. So sort of their first job will be upsetting a lot of people. So I'll be interested to know whether they'll have that all done before this person's put in place, or if the first part of this job is to answer all those questions that, that the that the indie sector have got, and and also. Um, sort out all of the uncertainty that BBC staff have got as well. Well, I think the ambition is to get someone into place within the next six to 12 months. So you'd imagine that that person will come in with their own vision, their own ideas, and will want to help bring that to the table and, you know, contribute to the the structure and and the way they see things playing out, wouldn't you, Robin? Yeah, it is quite exciting. And I think as our piece spells out, the tough thing is just marrying that commercial role, commercially facing role with being part of the BBC and, and having to be sort of publicly accountable. There seems to be some sort of grey area there as to what those aspects of the role will, will be like. And I think it's exciting that the early names in the frame are across the spectrum. You have people with you know great British TV production and channel management experience and others who are internationally focused and very commercially savvy. So I think, you know, Certainly the, the list of names, while perhaps slightly obvious, you know, the big names in TV production, it feels like it's quite an open field at the moment. Yeah. The suggestion is, though, that it'd be quite nice to do this job second time round. 
i.e. allow someone to come in, get rid of the nastiness, uh, clear the desk, and <laughs> get yes, get it out into like the commercial any, sector. Like any big, big new BBC role. You don't, <laughs> no one wants to be thrown to the... Uh, <laughs> I mean, the flip side of it is, does it need to be a production person? Does it need to be a creator? I mean, you would hope that it feels like a creative role, but it's so massive, like you said, that actually... It wouldn't totally surprise me if they they did a bit of a BBC trust and there was a, there was an outsider that that no one expected that was from outside the TV industry that came in and and looked at it from a, an, a purely business point of view. Um, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? That's I don't an know. interesting it's, suggestion. I don't know. It's, I think that we all automatically look to the TV industry and go and and look to see who are the big wigs in that space. And and actually, you know, this is this is more of a business role. You know, you're you're taking something that is that is um, effectively. A public sector thing and turning it into a private sector thing and and that has lots of business challenges along the way and are those challenges bigger than the current creative challenges the bbc have a lot of hits on their on their books already i'm not sure if that's where the where the focus needs to be you know strictly's there sherlock's there doctor who's there it's it's not about somebody coming in and and figuring out what what are the next big hits it, it's, it's more somebody coming in and, and figuring out like i said the uncertainty of the staff the the indie sector and how you talk to the rest of the industry and and also making sure that it's profitable and and worth doing so they've got egon zender involved who uh famously helped replace mark thompson as director general in 2012 with george entwistle yeah went well <laughs> Uh, all right, <laughs> we'll move on. A couple of bits to skip through now. First up, BBC Worldwide re-engaging the engines of its indie investment strategy. Uh, that's the way Chief Executive Tim Davey described it at an FT conference this week after taking a 25% stake in Curve Media, the indie run by Camilla Lewis and Rob Kerry. Uh, Robin, it pulled back for a little while. Now it's back in the game. Yeah. Yeah, this well, this is probably good news, isn't it? It is good news. It's exciting times for, for indies of a certain size when you've got Channel 4 investing, you've got BBC Worldwide back in the game and you've got other companies like Red Planet invested, for choice, invested last week as well. So if you're running a, a creative company, you, you, you've got a lot of you know potential suitors. And I think that's quite exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Lemonade it is, money. It is, it is quite exciting, sick, isn't you it? You investment. <laughs> it's, it's quite exciting, isn't it? Yeah. It's quite exciting. <laughs> oh, uh, can I take your silence again as uh, as containing loaded meaning? I'm just looking at my wallet and wondering why it's why it's so empty. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I think it is. It is exciting. I think that the more the more money that we can pump into creativity in, in the UK, the better, and and that always helps the best ideas float to the top. Um, it, it does. It does make me wonder about where this ends. You know, there, there does feel like a bit of a sense of like the music industry back in the eighties and nineties when you had lots of big record labels kind of swallowing up lots of little record labels, and and then th- that spirit of indie making sure that stays alive is, I think, the most important thing. So, so so long as that happens and and people recognise that the reason we invest in these indies is because they have a particular penchant for for creativity and they're doing things in a different and exciting way that the big boys can't do then then this can only be a good thing but we do need to make sure that each of those indies get to keep their own identity and and get to do their own thing okay also on the agenda our most popular story from last week by a country mile yes it's channel 4's decision to roll entertainment into factent to create a super division led by liam humphreys uh, the result is that entertainment boss Justin Gorman is stepping down and three commissioners are at risk of losing their jobs. Uh, but Jay Hunt believes it will ultimately boost creativity. For as your old stomping ground, what do you make of these changes? <laughs> Not entertainment. Um, <laughs> Not entertainment, but Channel 4, it's, it's en- to be more precise. It's, it's entertaining for your readers, isn't it? Um, it I, I, think, I think you need to kind of make sure that, that the best ideas always come to the fore. Ent- entertainment in the UK... I think is becoming trickier and trickier. We had a really big spat of of great shows, mainly off the back of the X Factor and Strictly, 
And those are now creaking and they're all quite old. And, and I don't think that we've actually found the next standout hit. It's, it's the big challenge in the TV industry. And there's, there's been some struggles at Channel 4. There's been some interesting things like The Jump that have done well. But we do need another million pound drop. And, and if that's going to come out from, you know, maybe it's outside of the box thinking. Maybe that's what Jay's thinking, that actually if you take some people that aren't classically entertainment and give them that space, can they come up with an idea that, that the normal entertainment boards have struggled with for the past almost decade, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Since, Entertainment across across the industry is struggling and is a, a tough place to be, isn't it, Robin? It is. But I think it's also a recognition that at Channel 4, the most sort of Channel 4 ideas, in a, as, as we understand what Channel 4 is about, often come from the strangest places. So you have Gogglebox coming out of Specialist Factual. You have The Jump and uh, The Island coming out of uh, Fact Ent rather than Entertainment. You have The Last Leg, which wasn't an entertainment commission when it started. That came out of the of the Paralympics and out of the, the sports division. So in terms of the hits that have come out of pure entertainment in recent years, they can count them on one finger, really. Um, it, is, it is important to say, though, things like The Last Leg, they became such runaway hits because of the talent of of that enter- of of those entertainment commissioners. So it's, it's not oh, simply... Sorry, a- this is not to do, to do down the entertainment commissioning team at all it, because but- they hone that into the show that it is now. But in terms of where it came from, it's, it came, it's come in through, through an odd yeah, exceptions. Yeah, unusual. I, th- I think that's the important thing. I think that there's there's a there's a collaboration thing that can can work really well. If, if we if we've got an opportunity to make sure that the best minds of entertainment are working with the best minds of factual, you you could see something mm. interesting coming out of there. Um, but I think we just need to make sure that you know we keep the talent of of good strong entertainment um, commissioners and creatives and make sure we're not kind of saying to them, your usefulness has passed because actually the industry has moved on. I don't think that's the case whatsoever. I think what we need to do is make sure that we have a balance between where the best creative ideas come from and then how they're executed very well. And I do think that some of the people in in the entertainment team currently at Channel 4 are very, very talented when it comes to executing entertainment ideas. And I, I hope that they're that they continue to be recognised for that. Let's stick with entertainment and uh, mull over a, a couple of commissions of the fortnight. Uh, first up, Jonathan Ross piloting a cookery panel show for ITV uh, where the presenter will test the food knowledge and skills of a group of celebs. Uh, this is being made by uh, Jonathan Ross's indie Hot Sauce Television. Uh, does the world need more panel shows? Talking about entertainment not, being I'm in strife. Sure <laughs> I'm not sure it needs that one. Um, but I can't get too excited about that, just to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, ITV needs a hit for Jonathan Ross. That's what they do need. So I, I think that experimenting with him and figuring out where, where he can, can be placed to, to make something interesting. His chat show is sort of quietly solid, though, yeah, I would say. It, I mean, it does it's a d- job it's dependent them. on the guest. Yeah. And sometimes if he has a Madonna special, yeah, it, it numbers are up. But it must perform a job for them because it's been yeah. going for no, it's, nearly three it, years it, now. It's in a... It's in a fine space. It's not setting the world on fire, but it's in a fine space. I, I think it's. I think it's a shame for him. You know, that some of the shows that he does sort of fall between what different channels do and don't feel quite ITV enough. Like the, the show he did with Penn and Teller was a was a, I thought it was a great show, but it still had a flavour of when of when he was on Channel Four or a little touch of when he was on BBC One. It didn't feel like they'd quite worked out what an ITV Jonathan Ross is. And I don't know whether this this show would. Do it. Absolutely. I mean, I think he sees such a huge talent that sitting sticking behind a behind a desk and waiting for celebs, A list and B list celebs to be rolled out to sit on the sofa so he can chat to. It's like, is is that the best use of his talent? Behind desk, will he not be sampling the cooking and things going wrong? And you'd imagine so. That's what he's, he does when yeah. he when he does his slapstick stuff. It's it's usually reasonably successful, isn't it? Yeah. When he's doing his chat show, he's been spent so long talking to celebs. Can he talk to the public? I guess that's that's the question. That's what. <laughs> okay. Uh, just quickly, one last one, uh, which is uh, BBC One also getting the cookie cutter out in the past fortnight, commissioning eight part the John Bishop show. 
where the comedian welcomes his favourite acts to perform at the Hackney Empire. As opposed to when Michael McIntyre has his favourite acts? Or... <laughs> I mean, John Bishop, he's, 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 he's got his fans on BBC One. He seems to be doing something for them. The commissioning team clearly love him. Yeah. He must do something for, for the audience on BBC One. <laughs> I, I must admit, that's, that's disappointing. Why didn't they do it in Liverpool? Exactly. That's exactly yeah. what I was going to say. Yeah. I mean, why, 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 have you, why have you done it in Hackney? That seems a bit odd. There's, especially when you've done... You know, at the Apollo, and you've you've done all of those big, you know, London stages. It would be nice to kind of get out of London and and see those regional voices in regional places, rather than kind of going, we're being diverse by bringing them back down to London and <laughs> giving them a, a, an audience there. I don't know. It, it, it could. I mean, I'm sure. Well, I hope that there's a twist on it in in some way that doesn't make it feel like another variety show that we've seen a million. Well, times I before. think that the twist is that he hand selects. Some of the some of the people that feature from his agent's books. So. <laughs> okay, we can see where this is going. Let's let's leave it there. Those are your headlines for this week. My thanks to Faraz and Robin. Just before you hear our producer interview, a quick note about Creative Week, a celebration of the creative industries from broadcast parent company MBI. The event will gather execs from the TV, film and advertising worlds and feature speakers including Sir Peter Bazalgette and all three media boss Jane Turton. For full details and to book your ticket, visit creativeweek.co.uk. Uh, up next, after Shameless bowed out in 2013 in all of its disgraceful glory, creator Paul Abbott went about dreaming up a new world for a long-running Channel 4 series. The result is No Offence, a drama about a crumbling cop shop on the wrong side of Manchester, staffed by frontline officers trying to keep the streets clean despite the local rabble. Abbott has made no secret of the fact that No Offence will attempt to emulate a shameless landscape and is his bid to blend the ingredients of cops and comedy in a way that no other writer has achieved. Paul's right-hand man at Abbott Vision, Martin Carr, will join us in a moment to discuss the eight-part series. But first, a clip from the first episode. Here, down on a luck copper, Dina Kowalska, gets a ride from a colleague. So a little Chinese lady, yeah, accident on the M56, yeah. Dogs unsecured on the back seat, but she, yeah, she's opened a bag of Maltesers. A little Jack Russell, he jumps up front for some of that, and boom! Little Chinese lady, she goes smack into the back of another vehicle. Ambulance, as it happens. So, our 55-year-old Miss Saigon... That's Vietnam. ...ends up with the entire head, the entire head of the dog, slammed right down her little face. You taking me to see that? Well, I knew it would cheer us both up. Welcome, Martin. Thanks for joining us. No trouble. I think Paul described it as sort of trying to fit a, a square peg into a round hole, no offence. Yes. That's something I read. Can you tell us how it all came about and why why the ambition was there to do this? Yeah, it's with Paul ideas so he gets he's always talking about it, he gets loads of ideas in the shower and then jots them all down. And <laughs> the shower's his thinking ground. And well, and also he has a walking, he's got a walking, he kinda of pads around walking. You 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 can spot good Paul Abbott walking or bad Paul Abbott walking when you when you know him, you can see if something's gonna come out. And he pads round and round and round. And no offence was an idea. The, actually, I found a treatment for it from 2006, back in the day. So it started, it was formulated quite early. And then it's just sat on it. It hasn't done anything with it for a bit. It's been developing shows in the US and over here. And then it just kind of lit with him again. And primarily about the characters, it was originally. The characters come first. So Deering, you know, who's Joanna Scanlon now, um, she was first, she was written very early. And the premise, when he was looking at the 
you know, the Down syndrome serial killer strand. That was, I think the reason he picked that, he said, was because it would be the hardest thing he could write. He said, because it sounds like a funny headline, he wants to wipe the smile off everyone's faces. He said, just humanise it. And he said, that's the hardest thing to write. So I'll do that. So it started out with that. And Dinah was in it early as well, actually. And then the other characters kind of formulated as he started to plot the scenes down. So it's been, been a while. And the the intention was always to blend comedy and, and high drama. I mean, it does crackle along. It is very gripping. It, yeah, it started out more broad. It's even actually the start of the production, it started out more broad. It was, it's very, very hard to find the tone because the, the rule was that if you get robbed, if you get attacked, these are the people you want on the beat. So Paul, what Paul hates most is people complaining about their jobs. He says, I don't, you know, you hear people complaining about their jobs or their work. What you don't want to do is come home and watch people complaining about stuff. So these are people who love what they do. They are great at what they do. They are overworked in extremis. We, <clears throat> when we were doing early briefings, it was that, that you go in and the cops have a pile of paper mounted up on the desk and Deering would say, where's that case that came in this morning? And you'd lift up like 7,000 sheets of paper and pull out a thing because it's just it never stopped coming. So the rule was... He wanted to take the bill and he said there's a big hole gone where the bill was. That big procedural police with beat cops and the whole police landscape. He wanted to take that audience and give them something new. He said, I want to refresh it and give them something new. And the funny, it did start out much more funny, but in honouring the good cops and people who care, the humour ended up being pared back. So it ends up more grounded actually there's sort of two degrees left of reality but the, the truth is where we ended up rather than the humor i mean the humor is there but we're not laughing at it we are laughing on with them i think so when you guys at abavision walk in at channel four yeah mm-hmm. and you and you see peers and, and the team there you'd imagine from the outside that getting a commission is reasonably straightforward did or was it not it that straightforward in this case it wasn't actually that bad i mean the, the abbott brand i think is it has its own power. I think if you went in with someone else and pitched this, especially as it was broader when we started and it was discussing the tone, that had been actually all the way down the line really collaborative. When we were finding it again, they helped out on the extended development. They've been very across the show, but not prescriptively so, which is good. You tend to get, we think there's a problem here. Normally you have a look at it and normally they point out actually there is because you get so close to it. So the commission wasn't that bad we had to do another pitch to jay at the beginning where paul did a crazy vasectomy reversal story at the beginning but um (laughs) i think it was that faith in it so it went straight to it wasn't uh you know it wasn't do a pilot first it was let's okay let's crack on and get the series created so it wasn't uh it wasn't that difficult and talk us through the production we shot in manchester paul writes with a kind of rhythm of Manchester and he always saw it in Manchester so that that was where it was going to be we have a writer's studio as well so we use the US model we have have varieties of it around the world so we have the biggest ones in Manchester which is a big residential house where all the writers stay and we have whiteboards all around the walls and we create shows it's a hyper collaborative process there's a lot going on in each episode you have the serial killer story which takes three or four very severe twists I think even if you guess who it is you would never guess the way we'd end it I think the show is very unpredictable and we have the rule of, we have A stories of the week, which are the more extreme end of crime. And we have to be very careful picking those because what you want to do is we chose stories that are driven by our characters. Not Otherwise you end up with your stories of the week becoming, you know, you have a really powerful guest story and all your characters, the texture around it. What we wanted is stories that would drive, that would ask moral questions to our team. 
uh, about. What so you have it. a number of ongoing stories, uh, but but you try to week. have a story a story of the week. Effectively, we have very big stories of the week. How tough is that to blend those two things? Very very hard. And also you've got the character stories of the week. Paul wants to have a lot, so we have some of the C and D stories as well. So we have a little story like in that one. You have Mitchell Patterson, you know the boy who comes in with Gran, which is two scenes. We have those sort of bits peppered through. We have the big stories of the week. Paul's rule is you have to have a five-course meal. So you get to the end of those apps and you want the audience to feel satisfied. You don't want them hanging on for the serial story. The serial story will drive you on to the next one. But if you just dropped into it, you've got a very satisfying meal. And the balance of it was probably the hardest to get. And the, the yin-yang between the two you know, two stories, it was it's very, very hard. And that's why you need the collaboration. I think to hold it in your head on your own is very very hard so and that's why we have the big team the team writing model so a lot of people we have offices in london which have the same thing but london's not residential it's just a big huge boardroom manchester's good because a lot of the ideas come you have a very stressful day beating out and it's hard work it's tiring you know you're trying to beat out you've got massive board table with paper all over it with each ep outline you come up with the beats on post-its of course writers negotiate for the beats but you're putting the beats around where you think they need to go just just for our listeners what's a beat the sort of uh like for example elizabeth or sarah could does when's another girl die another girl gets abducted when what ep does that go in what and stories of the week we have a bank of stories of the week of potential stories we've come up with between us which sometimes are inspired by real things Real life, we don't, we don't try to get lim- not get limited by that. So you go, you think, what would it be fun to do? And then assemble the stories. So we have a pool of stories of the week. And some are going to fit better with, like, as the serial killer story beats, builds, that starts to dominate the episodes more. So the stories of the week have to step down. The stories of the week in three, four, five, and six are very, very up in the episodes. Uh, seven and eight, when the stories start to take a really severe set of twists and the cops will turn on themselves. It's that's why you hate the serial killer because of what it, the damage it does to our team. Um, the stories then have stepped down. We changed the story of the week in eight about two weeks before we shot it. Luckily, we had another one we dropped out that Paul had written. We moved that in and had to re scaffold it because the story of the week was too big. Um, Quite the architecture bringing all this together, it sounds like. Yeah, uh, it's very, it's very yeah. architectural. It's, and um, yeah, and said hyper collaborative. So there's no, you don't get a lot of egos in it. And Paul's very amenable to know, he'll take you note from anybody. He said the rule is in the right studio is that everybody has to be feel f- comfortable to suggest the maddest shit on earth. And even though you may not do it, what you bring back from it, you'll bring something back. The discussion you'll have of why, why that does or doesn't work will bring back. Uh, you'll bring back some something you can apply to the rest of the series. Uh, do you think it can have the longevity of Shameless? I mean, you mentioned you're developing series two. Mm. Is that the one, ambition? Yes. The uh, series one is sort of blitzkrieg introduction. Season two is stepping back on the serial stories less dominant in the... It was kind of, this is a welcome to our characters, and we have an extraordinary beginning. Um, and it, it throws you headlong into the, the uh, team, but the aim is to go to have really more stories of the week. It, the very, very busy episodes is the rule. But it's it was designed to be... We've always seen it running a long time, and there's a lot of... When we were planning it out, there's, we were thinking, OK, we'll have that in the next season and that in the one after. I mean, it's... it's Plans long term saving treats. <laughs> we just things we couldn't physically fit in. You're very yeah. you, you're kind of handicapped a bit by the by the serial killer story because you've got to honour it. And we try to be unique by having the stories of the week, but you're you're tied in on a quite rigid structure. Were there any other inspirations? Any other references that we might recognise? Prime suspect was one. Um, the bill was a strong one. Mm. 
you know, people saying, well, we had a police advisor who's very good, and he was saying, oh, we, you don't get the detectives generally muddled up with the beat cops now. We didn't want to make a detective show. And we went, well, there's got to be times you do. And he said, well, only in, a, in an integrated policing unit would you have that. So we have a sign on the wall saying integrated policing unit. You know, we just thought we'll, we'll fit round to make it fit how we wanted it to. So the bills in there, um, cops, is sort of was an inspiration. Nurse Jackie, we watched watched through with a, with a kind of tonal view at the beginning. I think it has its own. I do think it's unique, and I can't think of anything exactly like it. Um, but we watched a lot of things on the. We watched a lot of stuff going in to see what what we thought worked and what, yeah. we, what we wanted to do. And just quickly, I mean, just obviously, drama in the UK feels like it's in a very healthy place. Mm-hmm. What what what's your view? I think people are genuinely starting to allow some some risk there's and, and you know u.s shows are extraordinary now the talent luckily is can well feature films have got so difficult i think largely due to the demise of the back end you know dvd gone on its knees and the, the online providers aren't paying enough for content they pay well for tv they do not pay well for film and i think it's it's polarizing much more actually i think you're losing you, i think you're losing to an extent the individual voice on cinema and if you are making them they made passion and they're made because they have other remits but I think commercially it's, it's not impossible. And I think to get a voice, I think appetite's changed. You know, an hour and a half feature was on a mandatory fit, pick, figure 100 years ago. I think the way we watch stuff is is different now. I had met with YouTube a while ago. We were talking about creating shows for that. And, uh, and they said, oh, we're very proud to have Justin Bieber doing long form for us now. And I said, can you define long form? And they went anything over two minutes. And also the market with, with bigger players stepping in and the appetite for TV it's stronger, and because of what's been happening in America and here, I think that the people are expecting more, and and broadcasters are stepping up and giving more. So I think it's a, a really, I do, I think it's the golden era. Well, all the best for the series. Thank you very uh, much. Thank indeed. you for coming in. No offense. Debuts on the fifth of May at nine p.m. on Channel Four. Finally, this episode, it's previews time. Uh, channel hopping with me are Faraz Osman and Robin Parker, and we'll alight at BBC Four. First, for its Scandi-inspired slow TV experiment. All aboard the canal trip is an uninterrupted two-hour journey along the Kennet and Avon Canal. The idea being that viewers are able to absorb the sights and sounds of the British countryside without any pesky presenters and slick editing. Produced by The Garden Productions, here's a clip of the trip. Uh, There's not much going on, but imagine yourself cruising down a waterway and approaching the occasional lock. So we've all sort of visibly oh, leant back in our chairs. Uh, some listeners might be saying that was better than the actual podcast, maybe. I wonder if they're going to sell the audio rights. You know, are we, we going to see like the Canal Trip, the album, like <laughs> available on BBC Worldwide? So there's two versions to preview. There was a six minute cut down one and a two hour opus. Who stuck with it for two hours? I didn't stick with it for the six minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I did check out both versions, but I didn't check either of them in full. I must admit. For us, yeah, I um, I'm pretty busy at the moment. Two hours is a long time <laughs> in the uh, TV world. 
Yeah, see, busy, people have busy lives. I'm, uh, yeah, I, well, I, I this can't is the, see anyone. But this is not the idea that you, 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 want, you need to zone, to zone out from your life. It's playing in prime time. People who work all day, I can't imagine, unless they've got very dull socialised, would want to sit down for two hours. And, and what are they doing while they're watching it? Are they just relaxing or are, is this the background ambience while they're on social media or whatever? Or is it just something to fall asleep to? I don't know. Part of me thinks if BBC Four was on around the clock, this would be great daytime filler. But I can't quite see who's going to Or late night. Or late night, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. You can imagine some... I was going to say, you can imagine stoners getting involved in this. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> hey, hold on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why are you turning to me, Jake? <laughs> I'm questioning the whole, this is inspired by Scandi, like mainland Europe question. This is an internet thing. This is webcams. And that, that's, that's what I don't get. And I'm going to get my BBC3 soapbox here. This is exactly what should be happening online. You press this, it, you know, you're at work, you've got a bit of white noise in the background, you can see a canal going down. It's, it's nice for that. It feels like the antithesis of people putting on music television where there's rolling music videos and you know they're all bright, colourful and loud and noisy and you do your housework while you're watching that. This is the other side of that spectrum where people can put something on and they can read a book or you know do some personal finance or whatever it is that, that, that needs to be done while you're thinking about going down a canal. And, and that's what this is for. It's, it, to be honest, it sounds... I think it's probably even got the same foley and sound effects on it. It sounds like Big Brother when they had the overnights of people just watching people sleep, which was a massive hit at the time. That's what this is. It's just watching stuff for the sake of watching stuff. So it's an indulgence to have it on scheduled TV, is that what you're saying? I, I think that there's. I can absolutely see a place for it on BBC4, and I think it's a smart commission for BBC4. But I wonder if it's more useful in an online space when it's on demand where you can kind of go oh, I want two hours to just while away the hours while I'm doing something else as you were saying be it on social media or, or be it doing your housework or even at work when you can open an iPlayer window and have it in the corner to kind of help you get through the day that feels where it's most useful I don't knock this at all I think it's it's actually a smart commission we're at a place now where drones and strong cameras and you know and and the, the opportunity to have lots of content and, and tape means that you can kind of literally press record and it can continue to record without any cuts. All of those things, all that technology allows for that. And it's great that we're, I think, experimenting. It may, may seem odd with something that's just watching a canal, but actually does feel a bit experimental in this space. You're, you're right. I mean, we talk constantly about risk-taking and we'd like to see more of it. And this is a risk, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it, you don't seem sold, Robin, I have well, to say. Well, yeah, I, I, would, I don't have the kind of time to sit, sit and watch this. But yeah, it looks, it does look beautiful. And I, I like the way they, they, they moved in, blurred in some of the facts and things, you know, quite creatively. It's just how long can I watch a lock being opened? Yeah. Once, once I'm through the lock, it's like, oh, that's quite no, crazy. Been, There's sort of moments like that where I... I don't think anybody that that's, that watches this it's, this isn't appointment to view anybody that's that's and I think your your point about it being on primetime scheduled television is is a it, it's true that is a little bit odd I don't think that you sit down to watch this I think you turn it on and kind of go oh that's quite nice I'll put that in the background while I'm doing something else it's brilliant for dinner parties <laughs> like you can imagine like dinner parties up and down the country talking about their mortgage prices and uh, and the next election this is exactly what in the background is, that, is this an insight into your uh, dinner table God, conversation yeah, exactly that, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, maybe your dinner you know, have on Saturday night opposite Britain's Got Talent as an antidote to that while you have your yeah so this parties. is up against no offence, which we talked about earlier yeah, in the show. I know which I'd rather watch. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, All Aboard the Canal Trip sets sail on the 5th of May on BBC Four.
Uh, finally, a little change in gear as we head over to BBC Three uh, for hybrid comedy Murder in Successville. The Tiger Aspect series thrusts a celebrity into a bonkers fictional world where they must solve a murder mystery alongside DCI Sleet, played by Tom Davis. Here's a taste of the first episode in the six-part series featuring Made in Chelsea star Jamie Lang. Your first crime scene, kid. Sleet. It's been a while. Oh, hi, Taylor. Who's this guy? Oh, this is Jamie Lang. He's a sweet, young, innocent. I'm bringing into a whole world of hurt and pain. Oh, you're good at that, aren't you? Seriously, watch this guy, okay? Because he will lead you on, and then... Uh, we only had two sexes. What are you laughing at? Nothing, nothing. It's time we started looking at this murder scene. Yeah. Look, the trajectory of the blood and the brain matter suggests that the murderer, whoever he was... Or she. Whoever he or she or was... They. Whoever he or she or they was... Or were. Okay, whoever he or she or they was or were... Uh, was or were sitting right here. Okay, kid. It's time you got inside the mind of a murderer. Park your caboose down there. I love it when you talk like this. Try and keep your knickers on Swift. Uh, Tom Davis being brilliant, I think, to be honest. Robin, do you like this? Yeah, I think Tiger Aspect are really on a roll at the moment with this, with thinking about how to do comedy formats differently and just think up some crazy ideas and, and see what works. You know, they're, they're doing things like Crack and Ori and, and they, they took the drunk history model and, and, they're, and they're doing this. And it just takes you out of, out of a comfort zone and it makes it quite a, a fun watch. And as you say, he he is great. And I can't believe he just keeps a straight face throughout it, frankly. It's unbelievable because everyone around character. him is cracking up, aren't they? And <laughs> Even think, the I, other actors. And I think it's filmed over quite a short period as well, so I don't know there's much time for, for retakes or, or, or anything like that. So the other notable thing about this is it's it's channeled the demonic nature of Jimmy Carr's laugh. And I think that's... <laughs> what, it, what it does with that is, is truly disturbing, and for that I applaud it. Uh, for as you're being studiously pensive. Yeah, I think I think it's brilliant. I think it's a really great idea. It's very, very well executed. It looks lovely. It's It's got that real feel of the Kung Fury thing. You know that viral video that's going around at the moment, that real 80s it's neon thing. It's it's brilliant. The, the David Hasselhoff has just uh, has just done a music video based around it as well. It's got that real neon 80s look to it. With, Bit of City um, City as well. Yeah, exactly. And it, it looks looks really great. Um, there, there is a lot going on and kind of getting your head around exactly what's happening at the beginning is it takes a little bit of time. There are a few jokes at the beginning that fell a bit flat. And when I started watching it, I was like, I'm not sure about this. But five, ten minutes in, it really felt like it found its stride and, and was doing some really interesting things. The fact that the cast are cracking up is all part of the illusion of it. You mm. really feel like you're part of them and you're you're in it with them. And, I love and it. I love it when they start cracking. Really up. brilliant. It feels yeah. like you're watching All Right on the Night. It's like it's got that real sense of chaotic. This is this is, this might fall apart at any time. And you, you kind of get invested like like Jamie does in, in the whole conceit of it. The, the few things that I would say is I the whole murder mystery thing completely fell away from, for me. Mm. It was only until you got to the end that you're like, oh, Jamie's meant to be figuring something out here. Yeah. It's not just him dicking around with people yeah. doing some impressions. That that may need some work or they may just drop that entirely and just get, get a celeb and drop them into a mad world and do that whole punch drunk thing of, of experiential theatre. But it does really work really well. Jamie is brilliant. We've done a few bits and pieces with Jamie, and, and when you kind of get him buying into an idea, he he really goes for it. And 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 so I do wonder when you get a few other guests. I haven't seen any other episodes, so I wonder what the other guests are like because he really does play it play up to it. He does exactly what you want to do, where he starts cracking up but continues to keep pressing on, and and he's a really good piece of casting for this. They've clearly thought hard about casting because Greg James is in the second episode, right? And again, it's very similar. He's you know very game. But they've got, they've got, they've got Deborah Meaden as well. I'm interested to see what, what how she interacts with that. It's a very different flavour. But I wonder if that's a good thing. 
Oh yeah, no, of course it's. Just, I'm just, sure just I can imagine Deborah Medium throwing herself into it as I well. Mean, I think that one's a bit more of a sort of an, more of an Agatha Christie feel to it, so maybe she sort of fits fits in as a sort of Miss Marple sort of character. <laughs> um, I think the other thing I would say, I don't know how how it could use doing the kind of detective parody. It's quite a, a well trodden path. You know, we've had things like Touch of Cloth recently have basically sort of milked a lot of those jokes for all they're worth. So interesting to see if they can sort of keep up that quality throughout. There, there's a few times where it felt like they were being sort of crude for BBC Three's sake, which yeah. you didn't really need to, jokes about bumming and stuff, which, you know, whatever. But I think the overall parody was well well enough done to, to get over those those bumps. For me, I didn't clock the fact that there were impersonators in it until you saw the, the Car Brothers or the Car Twins, whatever yeah. they called them. And actually, that's a big part of the show. And it's in, I, I did wonder if there was a bit of a title sequence work to be done because you, you don't actually understand that you're in a world where there are fake, celebs and a real celeb is being brought into a fake celeb world to, to solve a fake crime yeah i didn't get the gordon ramsay at first and, yeah exactly it's also i mean it's a shame that it's come at this stage of dbc3 where i don't know how much of a push they're going to give it given the low profile of a lot of their shows at the moment in this sort of protracted winding down phase of the yeah. linear, linear channel I like david elstein's reference to bbc3 is the walking dead at the moment yeah, it does feel like that it does feel like that you know it's, it's hard to break a new show i'm going to the bbc3 briefing later on today so yeah, sure. we'll see <laughs> fingers crossed hopefully they'll give you some good guidance on commissioning. So. Um, murder and successful begins on bbc3 on the 6th of may uh, the moment has come for us all to call time on this episode of Talking TV. Thanks to my guests, Martin Carr, Fraz Osman and Robin Parker. Thanks to you guys for listening as well. You can catch up with us again in a fortnight. But until then, I've been Jake Cantor and the producer was Matt Hill. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. 